podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the It's All Cobblers to Me preview show. I'm Danny Brothers and I'm here to look ahead to our trip all the way down to St James's Park and to Exeter City this weekend. Joining me to do that this week, please welcome a very special guest to the preview show. Uh, we've got Mr John Beer from the excellent podcast My New Football Club. How are you doing, John? Oh, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Not quite as good as you, I guess, from after Tuesday night, but we'll, go, <laughs> we'll come on to it. You must still be on a bit of cloud nine after your um, cup win over Luton, which we'll talk about probably a little bit later on. But um, firstly, your time supporting Exeter, can you just tell us a little bit about that? Um, any favourite memories from games against the Cobblers? Yeah, um, I've got some some bad memories as well against the Cobblers, but well, probably most I, of them. I can't actually, think what you're fact. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, so I, I started going, so I went to my first Exit City game when I was two years old or three years old. My dad took me, took me with some toy cars and I sort of sat in the seat and played with them, didn't really pay much attention. Um, but mainly started following in around sort of 2007, eight was my first sort of half season ticket. So like seven, when I was seven years old and then sort of had a season ticket every season since, uh, seen a lot of lows, a lot of highs as well in comparison to most of Exeter City's history, probably the most successful period of, uh, of Exeter City history ever. Um, I've seen some great managers, seen some great players, really good academy prospects. Um, but overall, my experience supporting an, uh, as an Exeter City supporter sorry, has been uh, really positive. But I know a lot of City, Exeter City fans won't, won't have the same uh, opinion. <laughs> so you're coming into it essentially when you're... Um conference just just coming out of the conference so you've, you've yeah won the so playoffs we, my first then... season yeah my first season was us in the conference lost the first playoffs to Morecambe then we beat Cambridge uh the year after to get into league two and then straight up into league one uh finished second and then stayed up just about on the last day first season of league one then finished eighth the season after that then 23rd the season after that got relegated and then spent the next decade in in league two until a couple of seasons ago. Nice, good stuff. Um, to your podcast then, um, for anyone who doesn't know um, about my new football club, can you just give us a bit of background about that? What, how did it start? How did you end up getting involved? Yeah, it was uh, it was bizarre, really. So I think uh, David Earl and, and Joe Wilkinson, who a lot of people will know as British comedians, find them on Afterlife and all sorts of things like that on, on Netflix as well. Um, they David had sort of moved down to, to Devon and thought, well, I need to support a team. I, don't, I sort of became disenfranchised, disinterested in Manchester United. Didn't feel like part of the uh, part of the club. So I thought, right, let me go support someone maybe lower down the football pyramid. And then they put a poll out on Twitter, which Exeter City came out on top of out of the three Devon clubs. So we went <laughs> along and then fell in love. Started a podcast with with Joe. Um, unfortunately, given Joe's time constraints, and obviously he's a, he's a busy man, and not also having the the best you know sort of up-to-date knowledge on sort of the lower leagues of football Joe took a step back and I came on uh just a little bit before Joe stepped back and that basically came from you know a lot of people they they, they put a tweet out Joe and David saying look we need uh we need someone who knows a little bit more about Exeter City than we do um and a lot of people just replied to him with with my name my app I think my Twitter blew up that day and then got asked on and not looked look back since and it's just grown and grown from there I saw, I saw something where David was saying he saw a picture of you in a flat cap or something. And he knew that was the, <laughs> you, the yeah. right person. So, yeah, I think he saw he saw a picture of me 
I think it must have been me working for the BBC or something like that, like radio work. And I think that was my profile picture on Twitter at the time. And he thought, yeah, I've got to have him. So ever since then, I've been on pretty much every episode. And did, did were you like aware of his work before that? Were you, did you know who yeah. he was, like what, what he did and stuff? And like, how, how was that for you getting that call? You know, firstly, people putting you forward must have been a, a major thing in itself. Yeah. But for David to then get in touch and to, to choose you, how did that feel for you? Yeah, it was it was a little bit surreal because there's you know like he's, they're not you know the biggest names in the world, but in in the con- in the country they're very well known. Afterlife's one of is the most viewed uh, British thing on on Netflix, so they are they are big names, they're household names. Um, and it was weird because my my uncle Stu and I talk about him a lot because it probably none of this probably would have happened without him. My uncle Stu is a massive David L fan, um, and it was him who started the tweets. He said, "Oh, you should get John Beer on." And he does all the work for the BBC, all of this stuff. And then everyone was like, yeah, yeah, he'd be really good. He'd be really good. And I think, yeah, it was weird. I think he, he DM'd me at first and said, sort of, I think I think the initial contact was, you're coming on the pod in a sort of jokey way. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, I'm happy to do, you know, an episode. I thought it should be a one-off. And I thought, you know, that would be a good experience for me. You know, I was only 19, 20 at the time. Um, so obviously still quite young. It's an invaluable experience. And as a result of the pod, you know, well, that first that first one I, I, I did, Joe Wilkinson actually DM'd me on Twitter and, and asked me for my number and said, look, can we get you on every week? You're, you're brilliant. We'll do this. We'll do that. And then it sort of all evolved from there. Um, but yeah, that some of the contacts I've made and some of the career paths that have opened up as a result have been really good. And obviously being only 21, about to turn 22 now, it's um, it's been a real blessing, a, a real a real lucky break. Yeah, so it's it's great stuff. I mean, you were were you reporting on Exeter for the BBC as well, or was it? Yeah, yeah. So I worked for books, yeah. as a as a as a summarizer and a co commentator for BBC Radio Devon. Um, did that really young as well. To be fair, when it's quite crazy to think about when I, I look back at it. But my first time ever on live radio, I was just turned sixteen, um, and we had something like you know thousands of listeners at, at one point. You know, as you do on a match day. Um, so I was doing some pretty bold things for a 16-year-old. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely loved it. And that, and that, again, opened up even more opportunities for me. Yeah, and what was it like reporting on Exeter? Because you've obviously grown up as a fan. It's yeah. To me, we've spoken with sort of someone who did this from the cobbler side of things. And he said the main thing is, is, is the, it's, it's such a difference in terms of how you can react to goals and things like that because you've got to be in a different mindset in terms of if you scored a goal, but you've got to think about how you're describing it and things like that and how you've got to almost detach yourself from it. And how hard is that as going from fan to reporter? It's it's actually probably one of the hardest things I've, I have to do. And like I now, when I was younger, I sort of never prepared myself in the right way and it made it harder on the day to be you know that person that isn't a fan uh and if you probably listen to my first ever summarizing or co-coms now you it'd be absolutely terrible but I think the, the most important thing for me is in the morning so like there's certain things I like to do to make myself not feel like a fan but more like a reporter and it's there's there's little things so I'll first thing I'll do is I'll go through my notes and I'll try and keep everybody the contact with like my family, like my dad, my brother, who are like diehard. My mum now goes every single week as well. I try to keep the contact with them down to a minimum. I try to drive to the ground on my own if I can, because then I feel like I'm not, If I feel like if you're conversing with people that are passionate on the game and are really opinionated, it can sort of seep into the what, what you're going to say and what you're going to do and how you're going to act to certain situations. So I kind of like to detach myself from, from the family if I'm on the radio and sort of say, look, right, I'm going to make my own way in. I'm going to take my own time. 
maybe go for like a, a coffee or a tea before and just relax, get there nice and early. But yeah, it's 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 horrible. I had to do. Uh, I didn't have to do. I, I was asked to do the uh, the co-coms for the game that we went up uh, from League Two to League One against Barrow on a Tuesday night, and that was just absolute torture. <laughs> and if you ask any of, so like I'm fortunate enough to know a few of the directors, and my brother's a director now as well at Exeter City. And whenever I'm in the boardroom, people will tell you I'm an absolute nightmare to watch games with. I can't sit still. Every, I'm reacting to everything. I just hate it. But like then people will see me across the across the way in the stand co-commentating and i'll be calm and composed but no that that game against barrow on a tuesday night was very tough very very tough to stay composed yeah you almost think you're allowed on times like that though and you're allowed to kind of go as mad as you want because it it makes these moments for the fans if you're listening to someone who is kind of feeling the emotions that you're feeling it almost makes it a little bit better doesn't it it's it's yeah and that's the thing because it's because it's like bbc radio devon as well you sort of there's a, there's a you're allowed a little bit of bias in there although it's still the BBC you're still allowed a little bit of sort of people want to hear you because you have an opinion or because you're a city fan or whatever so they don't want to hear necessarily you know your classic boring Premier League commentators who have to be non-biased and all that I think you get a little bit of leeway with local radio but I try and act the way I would want to be in whatever job I have so I try and be as as not biased as possible and and, and try and be as level-headed and composed and calm. But uh, yeah, it is hard. It's definitely hard. It'd be interesting. I'd really be interested to see how I would react co-commentating or commentating on a game where I have no care for the result. I think it might might be a different outcome. <laughs> Let's come on to on the, on the pitch matters then for Exeter. Um, regrouped from that playoff final defeat to the Cobblers. I thought at the time, actually, Matty Taylor came across really well in what he was doing and what he was planning for Exeter. It just fell apart it was such a unique situation anyway and I think for you was it just a case of you know let's let's go again next season because it was just such a freak situation and was it almost easier to put to the back of your head that you weren't allowed to go no one was allowed to go was it almost like right it's easier to kind of detach yourself from that playoff final defeat yeah it went when I think about the playoff finals defeats that we've had and we've we've had a few um that one sort of seems like the least real. And, that, and mm. although like it was a hundred percent real and you guys were by far the better team on, on the day, absolutely tore us to shreds. Uh, didn't, couldn't deal with you at times, um, which is unlike, it's not very, it doesn't resemble the city teams that we've had over the last couple of years. We've mm. been really hard to break down and resilient. And, and that day, like you said, everything just fell apart. You are way more physical than us. And, we struggled with that all season, to be fair. And we knew going into it, you know, you had, um, uh, what's his name as, as manager? Keith, Keith Cow? Keith, Keith Cow, yeah. Keith yeah. Cow, yeah. And, and he likes to get balls into the box and he likes to make it difficult for uh, for teams to play against him. So well, I think we knew going into the game it wasn't going to be easy. But yeah, that was a, an absolute de- demolition. But you're right, it was, it was easy to disassociate and go, look, horrible season, horrible circumstances. Everything played out the way it did. Right, let's go and let's go again next season. And 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 you're right, Matty did did so well, and you could see at least there was a, a project, and we were building on, on something. Yeah, so f- finish ninth the next season, and then <clears throat> after that, uh, go up in second place again with with Taylor in charge. He then goes to Rotherham, Rotherham in October last year. How big a loss was that for him to go at that point in the season? Yeah, I think it's hard to comment on it now because at the time it felt like probably the biggest loss that we'd had we you know this is the first time we'd ever had a manager like poached properly where he was poached because he was doing so well uh so at the time i think everyone 
I remember the vibe being sort of like, oh God, okay. The person who comes in is going to have a right ta- task on their hands because he's created this brilliant environment. But to be honest, n- retrospectively now, when you look at what we've done with, under Gary, I think we're, be- we're better off. I really think we're better off we're playing. And this is no disrespect to Matt because he's an absolutely lovely gentleman. I'm, I know his, his mum and dad, I, they're all fantastic people. But I think we're playing better football with better players now than we were on, under Matt. And it's really, that's a, re- that's a really crazy thought given how we were, how well we were doing under Matt. So, so you mentioned him there, Gary Caldwell coming in. What was your initial reaction when he came in midway through the season? Because he's, he's you no, know, he did, he did a right Wigan, Chesterfield, he went down with Partick, um, Thistle. You, it's hard to judge on the, as much as you can on the Scottish Premier League. Um, it's hard as try as you might, but in terms of fan base, in terms of your list of managers, yeah, you're midway through League One season last season. You started on mixed bag results to start with, but where where was he in the kind of running order and where you who you wanted for the job at that point? Yeah, to be if I if I'm brutally honest, I don't think he would have been anywhere near near the top. I think there was a few names that are being thrown about like I think David Artel was a name that was being thrown about which is which is something that quite excited me at the time I think he was probably the most realistic but given the conversations I've heard from people I, th- I, I think Gary was just the most standout and obvious choice I think he'd seen every single one of our league games up until that point like watched them back twice each game twice he knew everything mm. about the club he bought into fan ownership which was the biggest thing the biggest thing we wanted was a manager that believed in playing youth players and believed in the model. He ticked both those boxes. And I mean, the conversation, the, the way he spoke in those interviews must have, must have really won them over because he wouldn't have been anywhere near the, the favourites, I think, for the, for the managerial position at that time. Straight into it as well, he had a Devon derby within a couple of games, <laughs> losing, losing at Plymouth. Was that kind of... Uh, all not acceptable, but more acceptable than it would usually have been just because it's straight off the back is that it's only a second game in charge. Yeah, so I think he had the t- horrible start to, to his Exeter City life in terms of games. I think he had Derby away on a Tuesday night, which was his first game, which I went to. And I thought, oh God, okay. Well, we've not played very well, but we've we've got a draw. We've, we've hung on in there. We clinged on by the skin of our teeth. And then we went down to Plymouth and in the, and I'm not even joking, in that week period, you could already see, wow, okay, we're playing differently. The identity is different. It wasn't working as effectively as it is now, but we played, although we looked, I think we lost 4-2 down there, even though we lost 4-2, we played really well, took the lead twice down there against what ultimately ended up being, you know, League One champions. So you could see straight away that there was a philosophy and identity, but there was definitely a, a ropey period after that where sort of results weren't fantastic we weren't doing great we had a horrible pre-season this pre-season couldn't defend for for love nor money and then all of a sudden you step into the league and we came out flying up the block scored the first goal in the whole of the football league about 46 seconds in and haven't really looked back since and I think after those first few games of this season he really really won back the fan base that sort of were questioning whether he should have been the manager or not and now I mean I don't know if you've seen the clips on social media but the atmosphere at SJP is just unbelievable I've never seen anything like it and the, cl- the the club right now and the manager and a set of players is quickly becoming mine and a lot of people's favourite period at the club because it's it just looks unbelievable down there towards the end of last season as well you've lost what six in a row as well like, yeah. was there any there's a six nil in uh, Ipswich that it thrown in for good measure there was a, what, what was going on there was that just a, a experimenting to plan for next season was there any worries at that point about Coldwell? 
Yeah, I I, th- I think there was actually. Um, if I'm if I'm completely honest, I think that period I can't quite remember uh, the period that well. But I think we had in eight we had eight games, six of which were top all of the top six at that period of time, and it was just it was relentless. I think we had we had Barnsley, Bolton, Peterborough, Plymouth, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich, all in the space of about like a couple on a Tuesday night and. It was it was crazy, and I think we we had said to ourselves before that run of games, if we're near enough safe by then, he's done his job, he's fine, mm. he, and and, he, and we were we were safe by that point. As soon as we beat Barnsley, we were pretty much mathematically safe, and then we just needed a couple of points, which we managed to do. Um, and 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 ultimately, despite maybe you know we had a lot, we had a key player in Giovanni Brown miss half of the season because of uh, an off field uh, incident, and we had a lot of key players missing towards the end of that season as well so to to do as well as we did and stay up and be comfortably up with you know with the squad that we had I think he, he did more than enough and we obviously what happened in the summer with losing you know pretty much half or near enough the whole squad and to bring in the players he has and recruit as well as he has and a lot of credit has to go to Marcus Flickcroft as well our director of director of football I believe he is now and head of recruitment because he is um he is superb We'll come back and talk more about that in a second. We'll go to a quick break and we'll be back uh, with more from John after this. Welcome back. We're still here with John Beer chatting all things Exeter City. Um, you mentioned the summer there, John. Can you just talk us through your summer business? Seem quite happy with what's gone on so far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, we, I mean, the the main standout player that we've brought in over the summer has been uh, Tom Carroll. Mm-hmm. Exceptional, he's genuinely the best player I think I've ever seen play at Exeter City. <laughs> like uh, we we had we've had a lot of good players over the years, like Matt Grimes, Ollie Watkins, Ethan Ampadu, Jay Stansfield, all these different fantastic players, but young and still raw. A lot of those players were still raw, but this is an experienced head, technically so so far above the level. I really think he should be playing in the championship and. The fact that we've managed to to entice him in, yeah, fair enough. He didn't play any football last season, didn't even have a club. But the fact we've managed to attract an, a name like that and someone of that quality, being aware of his presence and just managed to convince him to come down. That's one of the main things that we struggle with at Exeter recruitment-wise is convincing them to come down south and, and buy into the project. Um, and I think Gary mentioned has mentioned a couple of times how every player takes about three questionnaires. They do a fit and proper check, not only physically but mentally, to see if this is the right kind of person that we want at the football club. Because you can't, we just can't afford to take risks on things like that. If we can't, we don't have the money first of all to be paying for someone to be here that doesn't want to be here. Uh, you know, the budget's touched tight, and and you've got to be sensible. And also, you know, you, you want people that want to play for you. And Gary's a big believer in that. And play for him, they need to buy into him, the system, the club the model, the fan base. And I think everyone that he's brought in uh, has done so. We brought in Jack Aitchison, who I know had plenty of interest from, from teams, one team in the division above and, and, and a couple of teams, other teams in League One. So we're managing to attract players that we haven't done in the past, have got a point to prove and want to spin their career around. And that's what we're, we're very good at. And Tom Carroll, who you mentioned purposely, this is quite, I'd say quite a rarity in football as well, to, to actually purposely take a year out of football, um, to focus on health and fitness, to focus on getting fit again, to get, get back the way he was. He went back to Tottenham, for those who don't know, he, he played quite a few Premier League games for, for Tottenham, so he's gone back there, real, rebuilt himself. And like it's a, it's a risk to take on a player like that, but 
it seems like it's come off so well and so far he's looking good he's looking fit and like I say he's your, the, the, your standout player so far this season yeah oh my god he's been he's been superb and, and that's something that we've had to do at Exeter City to be fair over the years is take mm. risks on players because unfortunately we haven't got anywhere near a competitive budget for, for League One I think we in fact we've got the second smallest budget in the division and it just seems like when we take a risk it's not just a risk it's a calculated risk it's one that is thought of and and if it doesn't work there's still we've still got players that can step into his position so for example we signed uh Tom Carroll but we also signed Reese Cole who was at Hayes and Yedding on a free transfer very similar player younger not as much experience but a similar player so if Tom Carroll isn't fit or can't play there's not a void there we've got someone to fit fit that position uh, if I if I list off some of the names that we signed we signed Jack Aitchison who has had a point to prove we've had Admiral Musque on loan from Luton we signed Ilmari Niskanen from Dundee Finnish international, superb. We've signed a Finnish goalkeeper from, from Aston Villa on loan, Vilsin Azalo. But the best of the lot of the signings that were on loan is Ryan Trevitt from Brentford. And if, if there's any Cobblers fans listening, I don't know if he'll play actually because we're absolutely ravaged by injuries and I think he's one of them. But if he was to be playing, he's a superb player and he will be playing at the very top level, I, w- I would assume, in the, in the very near future. But yeah, we've recruited extremely well again this summer and I seems like as an Exeter City fan we keep saying that every single season but we've recruited well brilliant players brilliant squad brilliant atmosphere and it's just like I said a really it's going to be a really tough place to come what what do you put that down to is it the recruit just the recruitment committee like how does the fan ownership go into that kind of thing so it, it, it must be a case of having to be quality over quantity I'd assume and it seems like you've got everything right so far this season yeah, it's it, in terms of the sort of recruitment strategy, I'm I'm not too sure. I mean, I know that Marcus uh, is an absolute work workaholic. Marcus Flickcroft, he puts his heart and soul into this football club, and he knows he'll be given a profile by Gary Corden of a player, and he'll already have every single player that fits that profile that we can afford that he thinks will come down. Da, 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 da. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. It does work. I think we signed Dimitri Mitchell last January from, from Hibernian and everyone was sort of thinking, oh, okay, this is a bit of an out the blue signing, but he's been our player of the season so far. Scored a goal last night against Luton in, in the FA Cup or in the Carabao Cup. Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's just, he seems to have an answer for every question that our managers have. He was Matt's head of recruitment as well before, before Gary. So I mean, again, it just goes to show that the board and, and the supporters trust and everything at Exeter City seems to be getting uh, everything right at the moment. And it's, it's really good. It's really exciting times. And when you, when you see that as from like as a player coming in as well, you you think you see that happening year after year. You think this is a good reputation. It, it strikes me as as soon as a player goes down to talk to you, they're sold pretty quickly at this point. Yeah, I think, I think if we get a player down, I think probably nine times out of ten, they're convinced to come I think the problem is getting them down that first time yeah. I think once they because yeah. we've just I, I mean like, there's so much stuff going on that you forget but we just spent three 3.2 million quid on a new training ground new facilities new everything and, and players come down now they go wow I've not ever been had a training ground like this or if not it's up there with one of the best and that's that's a real big selling point uh SJP is selling out every single week near enough you know uh, in in the home side anyway so it's just it is a really attractive place to come and play football, and I think it's it's really important that that we keep it, maintain it like that. And even if we're not, you know, top six or where, wherever, you know, the, the the silly ambitions that people might have, because you know, as an Exeter City fan, those are really high and, and silly ambitions. We've never finished above eighth ever in our history of, of, of in, above eighth in League One or the equivalent. So 
you know, we can, you can dream, but I think so long as we can just make it an attractive proposition for players to come and play at, that's our main goal at the moment, and just to be as sustainable as possible in League One. You mentioned Admiral Musquay, that he was one of our targets, rumoured, um, quite close to the deadline and things like that. Um, I know he's been injured a little bit. Is he going to be back for the weekend? Yes. So from what I hear, uh, he's sort of hoping to be back in training this week. I don't think he'll start. And if he, if he does make an appearance, it'll be it'll be almost certainly off the bench. Will he even make the bench? I don't know just yet. We haven't had the report from, from Gary this week on, on injuries just yet. But from what I saw of him at, at Burton, he's exactly what we need. What we're missing is a little bit of teeth and grit up front. Someone who's going to get in the six-yard box and poach something because we keep getting the ball in there, but it seems to be like no one's quite there to, to get on it. And from what I saw at Burton in about 20 minutes, he had two that he probably should have scored and, and killed the game off. Is he young? Yes. Is he inexperienced? Yeah. And that's probably why, you know, he's not going to score every chance that falls to him in the box, but he seems like he's exactly what we need. If he stands in that six-yard box, he'll get goals for us. So it does seem to be from reading your forums and stuff, that's the one thing you're missing is just converting chances. Um, but still, yeah. cracking starts the season. 3-0 win at Wickham to start off with. Um, you've got to draw against Blackpool. You've lost to Portsmouth. But a group of three wins. Carlisle 2-0 away from home. Beating Reading 2-1 and then beating Burton. Uh, you've got win against Cheltenham in there as well. Um, it after that Cheltenham game, you were top of the league. Is it, I mean, when you are at that point, I know it's it's early doors, but as a fan base, is this the point where you start to think, you know, maybe, maybe it is the chance to get into them playoffs and to have a go this season? Or is it more of a realistic feeling of, you know, it will even itself out in a little bit and, you know, as long as we stay up there and keep performing well, that we're happy with that? It's such an interesting question because I'm... I mean, if you, I don't know, if you look at my social medias, I get pelters every week for being the most <laughs> negative or pessimistic Exeter City fan there is. But <laughs> I really think the division is wide open this season. I think anyone yeah. can really beat anyone. I don't know if people say that about any league all the time, and it's such a crap cliche. But I really do think, I mean, I saw, I've, I've been lucky enough to see Burton play on a few occasions. I've got a few mates that are Burton fans, and I've seen a few other league, league one games. And like, Port Vale were below us, second the night that they played Burton and I, they weren't anything special. And there's a few teams that I've seen and thought, Oh, okay, well they're, if they're second and they're beating these kind of teams, then maybe the division is more open than I first thought. I think this is a really good chance for us to get into the top six. Do I think we'll do it? Probably not, but we've certainly got a squad of players. If we can keep everybody fit, which we're struggling to do at the moment, um, I really think we'll, we'll give it a good crack. And I, I, I think we'll be looking up rather than down, hopefully come the end of the season, which is a, which is a positive. Yeah, it does feel like that kind of season, doesn't it? That on the night anyone could beat anyone, it is a chance for you know a club of our, I guess, similar size. Not it won't be us, but yeah. <laughs> a similar size to us, your Port Vale's, your Exeter's, for someone to actually have a run and to go and upset the odds a little bit. Because on the day, like anybody's, anyone's beatable in this league, and like we've both proved I mean, our wins over Peterborough and, and yeah. like many was like results throughout the season so far have proven that um you've come up with another one on tuesday night we don't you, you don't want to dwell on oxford last weekend too much but i think even that doesn't feel like it was a three nil defeat and didn't feel like it was that like, statistics and all that kind of stuff were yeah saw that it was just a case of you were chasing the game late on and they, they've got a couple of penalties and sealed it but tuesday night against luton firstly Big result in the EFL Cup, but did it did it feel like an upset? Because it, it and it feels funny saying that, but 
yeah, Luton, I know exactly your yeah. your playing a couple of seasons ago, beating probably. Yeah. D- did it feel like a massive night and one of those f- sort of famous upset nights that you could, that you've had in the past? So it's it's a really good point. I don't think it felt like an upset, but it still felt like a big night. Does that does that make sense? Mm. In, in the yeah, sense that yeah. like you're not you're not be- it's not like a giant killing, and that's no disrespect to Luton. It's not you know they're not one of the big boys. It's just, I think it's their first. Is this their first time? In the Prem or first time in the, the Premier League, the first yeah. time in the Prem, yeah. but they've yeah. been in Division One. So, look, I don't think it felt like an. I, I wasn't there, so I can't. I can't comment on on what it felt like to be there. But from the outside looking in, I don't think it felt like an upset, but more of like, wow, that's a big result against a side that wasn't that weak. That the team they put out was probably a, a semi decent Championship side. So, it was. It was a more. It was impressive that we were in the game. We were resilient, and I was. I remember saying to myself, "Well, look, eighty minutes played it. It's still nil nil. If they even they go on to win it now, we've put out a good performance, and that's all that matters. Especially after given the three nil loss to Oxford on Saturday. But to go and beat them, I think it feels more like a big result than an upset, and a really hopefully pivotal point in the season that makes us believe well and truly that we can go on and compete near near the top end of the league." anyone you'd fancy in the next round obviously with there's games going on as we speak but anybody you can pick out as a as a third round opponent that you'd really want yeah there's a couple so i live in manchester so like man united mm-hmm. away or man city away lovely mm-hmm. that'll be great or liverpool or everton because i'd like to go to goodison before it's not done if if, if i could and liverpool you know sort of another big one i quite like newcastle away as well there's quite a few result uh cl- clubs I'd, I'd like um but to be honest i'm I'm just happy to be there and whoever we get will we'll hopefully give it a, a good game and you know make a good account of ourselves hopefully so give you the choice cup run EFL cup run you get to what quarterfinals semi-finals or guaranteed top six which one would you take guaranteed top choice? six no yeah. brainer Gu- I mean because <laughs> yeah. well you know not I mean at that point my dad says this all the time and it's it's a oh, I love it because it's so true the, the playoffs are a lottery it doesn't matter going into it really what you know, so obviously there's statistics, you know, the team that finish in the bottom of the playoffs are the, normally the team that have snuck in or in the best form, whatever. But I think realistically, once you're in there over two legs, it's a lottery. And in the final, you, well, you know yourselves, it's definitely a complete lottery. So the main thing about getting into the playoffs this season would be that it's our highest ever finish and that we're building something again. And I'd, I'd happily sit in League One for, for another 10 years if it means we're sustainable, we're not throwing money we don't have at it and we give the best chance for the football club to survive thrive and then hopefully be successful and, and that's exactly what you're doing I mean teams like us come up and look at you as a almost that's who we want to emulate because you know the the model of the club everything like you say in terms of signing players is you've got a list of players if that one doesn't work you're bringing in the next one if someone leaves you've got the you identify who it is straight away it's it's yeah. something that clubs have done higher up the divisions and it's quite it's it's good to see you do that and to to build that and nights like Tuesday night are going to help as well financially I'm guessing um, but 20 years now fan owned which seems mad <laughs> it feels like you were yeah. one of the first to do it but how like how have you done that how have you kept it going how how has it felt as fans has it been sticking points or how is the whole journey going as a fan owned club yeah I mean I don't think people would have anticipated 20 years ago whenever we you know, officially became owners of the club, that it would go the way it has. It's been such a slow, steady, but brilliant progression because I th- I feel like when your club's about to go out of business and you feel like you could wake up one morning and have no club, that 
having any club at all is is a, a success in itself and whether it's successful or not doesn't really matter I think that's the important thing to remember because I think people can forget especially City fans that at, at one point in time it looked like there wasn't going to be an exit city so for us to have a team to still support and one that is successful it does offer me and I think for a lot of fans it doesn't matter how long it takes it could take more than my lifetime or whatever however long it's going to take it doesn't matter so long as there's a club there that's competitive it's not spending beyond its means it's doing things the right way because a lot of people say well other teams aren't doing things the right way and other people are spending money they don't have well that's great but you know if you you've got to be one of the first to start doing things properly so people can can, can follow suit and I think it's going to take a few more instances like your Boltons and things like that where people start to think right okay we need to start looking after what these football clubs are and it's not just a toy for some rich business owner to come and play with this is people's lives and like I mean I know firsthand you know for my dad alone and other people this you know my dad says he works during the week so he can watch Exeter City and that's it that's his that's what he loves to do that's that and for that to be taken away from him I mean it was bad enough during COVID we saw the effect it had on people during COVID and it's the the fan ownership for us has been brilliant you need to properly buy into it. You can't do it half. You can't, you can't do half a job. You've got to properly do it, have a proper plan and however long that plan takes to execute, then you have to stick to it. But you, you just have to be patient. And I think City fans were willing to be patient as a result of what had happened all those years ago. And it, it feels like you, you're getting it absolutely spot on now and it must just feel so good that A, in League One, because you can have a little bit more fun with it in League One, I'm thinking. Because in, in League Two, there's always that chance of the trapdoor to the National yeah. League and you know something going horribly wrong. In, in League One, it feels like you can enjoy it a lot more and enjoy being that fan-owned club and to 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 go on that journey with, with them. And if you do sort of sneak towards the playoffs, it becomes even better because you, you feel a part of it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like you said, my, my dad always says the best thing about being in League One is if you go down, you're still in the Football League. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a <very laughs> pessim- it's a very pessimistic view, but it's so true that the thought of, you know, you never know how a, how a League Two season is going to go. And if, you know, given some of the teams that are coming up now, it's even more competitive than it ever is. And it only takes one bad season, one bad patch, one set of injuries to be like, crap, we could be dropping it into into the National League and everybody knows it's notorious how hard it is you don't just most teams do not bounce straight back look at Wrexham look at Stockport these teams took years and years to build back up um, and if you look at some of the, the bigger teams down there you know Notts County didn't come straight back Chesterfield haven't come straight back so it's a really tough division and you know a big budget if you don't have a big budget and, and a good structure it's a really hard division to get out of. Let's come on to, to Saturday then. Injury situation, you've had a horrendous start to the season injury-wise. So it's, it's amazing that you're up there and challenging in the top six, top of the league a couple of weeks ago. Um, how was it ahead of Saturday? What Who's coming back? Who's borderline? Any any chance of players coming back in? So I think the only players looking to be back fully fit will be sort of James Scott, striker. I think uh, Jack Aitchison's still out after a hernia operation. Ilmari, our Niskanen, our uh, Finnish international, is still sort of struggling with a with a broken slash dislocated slash, I don't know, sort of collarbone issue that they don't know whether to have surgery on or not. Uh, Admiral Musque, I think, is just returning to full training this week. Um, we've had Harry Kite just come back from injury, who, who's been a, a big miss. He's a, he's a solid midfielder. Ryan Trevitt looks like he's probably going to miss the weekend. So a lot of, a lot of injuries, but given all of that, 
we've got some really good players to come in and take their place. And and at the moment, some of the players don't look like they're they they want to give up their shirts. So I think the injury situation is just. I mean, it, it got really bad against Leighton Orient. I mean, we had to play a sixteen-year-old and give him his debut because we literally had nobody else. But other than that, I think we still have a, a really strong side, a really competitive squad out, and I think it'll be a really good game. Am I clutching at straws to think? After Lord Mayor's show, is Luton a Lord Mayor's show? I don't know at this point. <laughs> is it? Is there any chance of that drop off after that big night on Tuesday? Uh, I don't know. I think it could go both ways, couldn't it? I think we could either use it and completely demolish you, or it could it could have really taken taken the, a lot out of us. But well, we can only wait and see. I think it's going to be a a really interesting. I think a lot of City fans are interested to see what this result has done for us and what maybe a big draw could do for for the team and the atmosphere. But at the moment, despite losing three 0 on the weekend, we seem to be on cloud nine, which is a which is a really weird weird thing to be saying. Do you think the draw will have an, any impact on the atmosphere? Like if you if you pull out Liverpool away, for example, it, it does it change the atmosphere to if you get you know Lincoln away or something like that? Is it? going into Saturday, is, it, is the atmosphere just the same no matter what? No, I think I think the atmosphere will change. So I think if we get somebody like, I think Mansfield or, or Port Vale are still in it, I think if we get someone that we've played a lot recently, I think the atmosphere would be the same as what it normally is, which is excellent. But I think if we get a big tie, we'll get a lot of people through the gate and a lot of people thinking, right, there's something, we're really building something and we're going to have a great away day. We've got a nice cup run. Like, what can we do? Um, I think the result, will tie will only enhance the atmosphere if not it will just be the same and it'll be you know th- that big bank at the moment has been has been deafening and I've, I've spoken to players that have played against us in recent years and they say that you know that big bank really feels like it's sucking the ball into the back of the net at times so it'll be it'll be it's a, it's a really difficult place to come and I think your boys will be in for a tough game mm, it, it does seem one of the, one of the more difficult away games um, have you done a couple of bits to the ground in the last couple of years since we last came down yeah, so when was the last time you came down? I think so I think everything was still there. Season I think, before last, yeah. Yeah, so I think nothing's really changed. I think no, we still we had the new way in there and we had the new stand then. So no, I, I think we've got a big screen now, which um, <laughs> which only the, some of the away fans will be able to see the ones sat in in the seats. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I don't think a lot's really changed. We've still got the big bank, the uh, the Nevada stand, as it's now known, the Adam Stansfield stand to the left, as you as you guys see it from the away end, and then obviously the away end. So no, I think everything will be pretty similar for Cobblers fans. How would you set up, I'm asking this to every fan this season, with the hope that John Brady is listening, but how would you set us up to beat you if you, if you had to give the Cobblers team talk on Saturday? Ooh, good, really good question. I think uh, we've really struggled against high-pressing teams this season. Uh, teams that have tried to win the ball back higher because we love to play with the ball at the back. Um, I think Reading gave us a really tough game because they had they had two really young strikers fit, raring to go, ready to prove a point, and they set the tone from from early on. Um, so yeah, I think if you were, I think matches formation wise, so start with sort of three. Uh, I don't know, I don't know what what you're allowed to play, but um, uh, five back seems to be what we're struggling to to beat at the moment. Sort of when teams are matching us. Um, but yeah, high, high pressing, win the ball back high, and and hopefully punish us there because Oxford did it brilliantly at the weekend. They sort of got two two penalties off the back of us um, sort of giving the ball away and them still having energy late on. So yeah, press high. Nice. Um, last one before predictions. Cobblers fans going down to Exeter. I know you're you're based in Manchester, like I said. Where where should they be eating, drinking before the match? 
Oh, interesting. So I don't know. I think you know, there's no rivalry, and I think it'll be all right and a good place to go. But I love, I love the Imperial in Exeter. It's the Weatherspoons. Um, it's a little bit of a walk from the ground, but just off the train station, just by the train station. So it's um a really good good place to go. Cheap, nice. One of the best Weatherspoons in the country. It's lovely. Big glass, uh, <laughs> big glass window pane. Um, really nice outdoor seating. I don't know if the weather will be very nice, but for me, uh, the MP is, is a really good place for Cobblets fans to go get some food, cheap drinks. I think there might be train strikes on Saturday. I remember as well. Is that? Probably. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Oh, so there might be, might cause a few issues, but um, yeah. one of the best weather spoons in the country. What more could you need? Um, yeah. Let's, um, yeah. let's come on to two um, predictions then for Saturday. What are you thinking for this one? Is this the game that extra fans will be going into it thinking we we've got to win this one? It's a it's a one that you look at thinking promoted team is three points. No, certainly not. I don't. I don't think I ever go into any game thinking three <laughs> points. To be honest, um, but I think with the greatest of respect, if we want to be challenging near the top, these are the kinds of games we have to be winning. That's not to say we will win it or that we should win it, but you would hope that if you want to be at the top, top of this division, uh, we should be winning. Maybe not comfortably, but sort of winning, finding a way to win, uh, which is a really important thing with with teams that go up. Even if you don't play well, you need to find a way to win. Um, so I'm going to predict Exeter City 2, Northampton 1. I think it's going to be a tough game. Cool. I think I've predicted draws for the last couple of weeks. I've, I don't know what it is about Exeter, whether we've just had good time. We obviously celebrated the title down there. We've, we've had yeah. the playoff thing. I've got a weird sneaky feeling that we might come and nick something on Saturday, okay. and I never feel like that. So <laughs> I'm going to go for a 1-0 Cobblers win, I think, and just, just wow. for us to nick, nick it. And I, I feel like... Your place will be bouncing. We might try and shut up shop a little bit and catch something on the break and get some sort of lucky win off Sam Hoskins' arse or something. But I don't know what it is. I'm probably completely wrong, but let's hope I'm not. Um, uh, John, thank you so much for joining us um, today. Really good chat. Um, really hope you get a good draw in the cup um, on Wednesday nights. We're recording. It'll probably be happening in about an hour's time. Um, anything you want to plug before you go? Uh, no I don't think so if any Cobblers fans want to listen to my new football club please feel free to come on over especially listen to the Northampton episode because uh, we're quite complimentary of a lot of teams and we like to comment on other teams players and David's very complimentary of uh, of Mitch Pinnock he absolutely loves him to bits and wanted him to sign for us so uh, if you want to if you want to give my new football club a listen please do and uh, no, thanks for having me what do you call Sam Hoskins as well? Some he likes he, oh, big ass man, yeah, big ass yeah, Hoskins or yeah. something. I think he likes his bum, doesn't he, David? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, Hopefully, uh... we do get that one off his backside and goes in because that might make him a bit happy. <laughs> that <would be laughs> ironic, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, do go check out um, my new football club. Great podcast. Um, uh, you'll be reflecting on the weekend's game after that, I assume. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you, John. Really, really good. appreciate that you coming on. Um, Thank you for everyone for listening. Patrons, your From the Bolts blog is out now as a look back on a past meeting between Cobblers and Exeter. Um, involves four goals, but not that one. <laughs> Our match preview is also up on cobblers2me.com. Good luck to the Cobblers this weekend and, of course, to NTFC women who host Leak Town in the FA Women's National League plate on Sunday at 2pm at Fernie Fields they do get on down there to support them if you can we'll be back on Tuesday as usual with all our reaction to those weekend games we'll see you then Sports Social Podcast Network